Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. And I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we are going to talk about end-of-life issues during COVID-19, and we have got a great guest on today who's been involved in hospice, as I had for many years, and we're going to have a great conversation with her. But uh, first, I wanted to ask you, how are you doing with your COVID-19? I'm good. I'm basically symptom-free at this point, except I still do not have any taste or smell, and it's been three and a half weeks. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. So why don't you introduce our guest today? I would love to. So today we're going to be talking about end of life during COVID-19. Our guest is Barbara Carnes. Barbara has written um, The Little Blue Book and Gone From My Sight. She has numerous awards, Mom. Her oh. awards include she is an award-winning nurse, award-winning end-of-life educator. She's won the Hospice Innovator Award and International Humanitarian Woman of the Year. So she's extremely accomplished, and we're looking forward to talking to her, her today. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Ah, oh, thank you very much. I'm in, in Vancouver, Washington. Oh, Washington. Washington. Well, welcome to the show. And I, I wanted to get right into talking about what's going on right now. I wondered what your thoughts are. We never thought hospice would go like this, did we? How can you be up close and personal when you're looking at a computer screen or just talking to someone, even if it's FaceTime on a phone? So... Um, this sheltering in place has created a whole new obstacle to end of life care that had huge obstacles in the first place. Um, so I think that we have to be creative. We have to start thinking outside of the box on how to um, support our patients. I just don't know how these families are going to deal with it after that loved one passes away. How families are going to deal with guilt and shame. What do you see happening to families after that haven't been able to see their loved ones or take care of them after they've died? I remember seeing not too long ago on television a gentleman sobbing that his wife was taken into the hospital and he's barred at the door. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, I can't, I know that I'm never going to see her again and that I can't be with her when she dies. Mm -hmm. And that sense of she's going to be alone. And so two things that we need to address on that. And first is that most of us don't know how people die. Mm -hmm. Our role models are that they die like in the movies where they're saying something profound and the next minute they're dead. Right. They read a good book and then they don't like yeah. it. Mm -hmm. And you and I know that there's a process to dying. And in the days to hours before death, a person is non-responsive. They're not really aware mm -hmm. of the world around them. They can hear as if from a distance, but they're not alert. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like um, my thought is in being with dying people or people who have died at the process is that they're really kind of gone somewhere else by the very end. 
So the suffering that you've got this alert person who's alone and suddenly dies, particularly for older people, is, is just not the way it goes. And yet most people don't know that. And so part of their grief is that my loved one suffered just before they died. Mm -hmm. And in reality, most of us do not suffer just before we die. So what I encourage family members that cannot be there to do is to do some um, mental imaging, some, um, some almost like a medi meditation, but I'm not gonna use the word meditation because that throws people off. So we're, we're gonna say mental imaging. And what I suggest is that the family members in their home sit down and quietly close their eyes and visualize in their mind's eye their loved one in bed asleep. And then they can do whatever they want with that loved one. They can crawl in bed with them. They can hold them. They can hold their hand. But be comforting in your mind's eye. Imagine your loved one and then talk to your loved one. Say what you would say if you were physically there. The best that you can do, since you can't be physically there, is to be there emotionally and mentally and support their loved one. So talk from their heart, say what they need to say, that they want to say in the quiet space of their own mind and their own heart. It's something that they can do and it will bring some comfort and add to that the knowledge that their loved one is not alert and suffering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I like that. And I also like it because there's, if you can't see somebody at the end, I would imagine there'd be a lot of unfinished business. Absolutely. And that's why you talk about the positive as well as the challenging aspects of a relationship. Because there's no perfect relationship. There's always ups and downs. And when, when I recommend a family when they are together, I suggest the same thing, only there they're doing it in real time face to face. It's a lot easier to talk to someone who's non-responsive than it is to someone who's gonna argue back. And so you encourage those family members to hold, touch, crawl in bed, but when you can't do it, do it in your mind's eye. Mm -hmm. I like that. What about uh, seeing the body after? What are your thoughts about what's going on with that? Have you? Oh, that it's so hard because it gives seeing the body, and that's why I prefer open caskets as opposed to memorial services and closed caskets. Is we need to see that body to know, yeah mom's really gone you know it's true she's dead there's something about seeing that body that gives us that yeah this really happened when you don't see the body you can play these mental emotional trips with yourself of well yeah she's just off on a vacation you know it we play that game it didn't really happen 
And so this pandemic and all of these deaths without funerals is really going to complicate everyone's grieving. Now I recommend, and I've done this for years, but right now it's even more important because if you're not seeing the body, you're not having a funeral or a memorial service, I recommend that every significant person in this life write a letter to the person that died and put in that letter everything that they've ever wanted to say, all the positive, all the challenges, just like we encourage them to verbally say it and mentally think it. There's something about taking all of those thoughts and those words from your head and channel it down through your fingers into onto paper and pencil. And so you write the letter and then have a little ritual or a little ceremony where you burn that letter and then toss the ashes outdoors into the air, into the wind and release all of that. It is a terrible mistake not to have something with the community at the time of the death. I don't care if you're gonna have something in three months. Have something now. Now, absolutely. Right. Well, well, the other day, you know, I was teaching a class on trauma and I had my students write down everything that was traumatic that they were dealing with right now, all the multiple losses as a result of COVID-19. And they wrote them down. I gave them a few minutes to write them down together. We were all in a Zoom like this. There was 25 students. And then I had them rip up, take the piece of paper and rip it up and kind of get all their aggressions out and all their feelings, their sadness, everything they're going through. And then on the count of three, everybody threw the paper in the air yeah. so that we all did it together. Right. Which you could do as your um, funeral or memorial service uh, as a family and friends and get all on Zoom, which I think people are getting more comfortable using Zoom as mm -hmm. families, as ways of interacting and, and seeing people you care about. And for quite some time, I think we're going to have to do this for our memorial services and part of our grief. Well, Barbara, um, if you have some advice for people who are, we're talking about COVID now, but we have people uh, listening to our podcast and watching our show who've had people die, uh, family members die of other things during this time, but also who are two years out there and they're alone and sheltering alone or six months out and they're thinking about their loved one right now um, and sheltering alone. Have you got any thoughts for them about dealing with grief and loss in general? Well, I don't care if mom died 20 years ago. If there's something that's still in your heart that you're having a challenge with, um, writing the letter is really, really powerful. Um, and, and getting those feelings out. There is also a time when some of us have a harder time with our grieving than others and grief support groups, whether, and we're hospices are now moving towards Zoom bereavement support groups. It's really important to find 
someone to share your thought and feelings with. We need listeners. Right. And one thing I remember, my mom is also a marriage and family therapist. And I remember, mom, you doing gestalt therapy with people and having an empty chair in the room and saying, if your loved one was here, what is it you'd want them to say? To tell, what would you want to tell them? And what do you imagine they would say? And having these conversations with the empty chair. Right. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely perfect. I learned that there are really just two ways to die gradual or fast. And gradual death has a process to it. It doesn't just happen. And that process begins months before death from disease occurs. So I put in Gone From My Sight what occurs months before death when a person dies from a disease or a gradual death. Three things start happening. A person's eating habits change, their sleeping habits change, and they start to withdraw from the world around them. Then as death gets closer, there are other changes that say a person has weeks to live, and that's in the booklet. And then again, the changes that occur hours right. to minutes before death. So that will guide a family because most people don't know how people die. Right. They think it's like in the movies and it's not. So taking care of someone at end of life is different than taking care of someone who's going to get better. And our job as end of life educators is to teach people the difference. Yeah. And that's what Gone From My Sight does as well as its companion, The 11th Hour. Fabulous. And where do people get in touch with you? You can go to my website, uh, which is... Uh, barbaracarnes.com, gonefrommysite.com. Um, I have uh, a big presence on social media. I write weekly blogs on end of life, which are on the website. And you can certainly sign up for that. Um, and I, I'm just out there. I'm available for anyone who wants to some guidance on end of life. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's just been great uh, listening to you and getting your wisdom. And thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.